Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. This is episode four of season five. And for today's podcast, we are going to talk about a broad topic that could fit a whole lot of different subjects into it. But basically, we're going to be talking about how to change your mind. Now, no one wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to change my mind about something. But we all know that through the course of our lives, we change our minds about a whole lot of different things. Some small, like what detergent I'm using, and some very big. Uh, maybe you've had someone in your life that has changed their mind about something that you thought was a bedrock within their lives. And maybe sometimes you get frustrated for the reasons that people give for changing their minds. So what we'll do today is we'll talk through some of our own examples of when we've changed our minds, but mainly we'll try to stick to some broad principles for how uh, Christians, responsible Christians, mature Christians change their minds about anything from religion to politics and the things in between. So, Daniel, why don't you get us started? What are some of the broad principles that we should consider? Some of the things that we need to think about when changing our minds. Where do you go? So, I'll start with a, uh, I'll start from a philosophical perspective to address this question. I think we may have mentioned this in a previous episode, uh, but there are three philosophical frames of thought for how we approach how we know things, the, the concept of epistemology, um, or the, uh, the subject of epistemology. Um, so the first two go together. Uh, number one is something called foundationalism. And this is generally how we think of knowledge. Uh, it's pretty similar to what you probably learned uh, when you took geometry in high school, it's this idea of you have these base principles and then you have to build all knowledge on top of that. Uh, Rene Descartes is famous for giving us this, this base idea of I think, therefore I am. And from there, he, he built up the concept of God, um, that we can trust our senses and our perception of reality and a whole bunch of stuff after that. You can just think of a, a pyramid, obviously. You have this foundation Maybe for you, your foundation is God, or your foundation is your sensory experience, what you can feel and taste and see. Maybe it's the principles of mathematics, it's whatever. Um, that's foundationalism, building on top of a foundation of knowledge. The second one is uh, an alternative, which is coherentism. And you can think of, if you want to give a shape to this one, foundationalism has a pyramid, coherentism has a spider's web. That's a much harder shape to draw, but you get the picture. Um, the, the idea is that there are constellation of ideas that are interwoven and go together. And we can, if, it, if something is coherent with your other beliefs on that subject, then that works. Um, it's, you're just trying to, if you're giving forth, what are your ideas about politics? What are your ideas about religion? What are your ideas about love? You just need to make sure that they're coherent, uh, within each other. You can't both say that, um, I should love everyone, but at the same time, it's okay for me to hate my enemies, something like that. That's, that's incoherent. You, you can't believe that. So, and, and Daniel, just really quick, a uh, an example of people using that often. Uh, people will often opine about things that they know nothing about. 
but because someone within their circle of influence, maybe a fellow parishioner, churchgoer, or someone within their political party, an expert within those groups, or we could think about other groups too, if they say something, you say, well, they agree with me on everything else, and so it must be coherent within their worldview, so I'll put it as coherent into my own worldview. Yeah, sure. That That's definitely, it's taking it a step further, but uh, I think uh, an appropriate step further. The third one, third thing I want to offer up, this isn't really the same as foundationalism or coherentism for how we, we come to know things and build up systems of knowledge, but it, it's a related idea that's worth mentioning. And this is the idea of particularism. Particularism is this idea uh, that we should accept the things that are clear as day, um, that you know something is the case. Uh, for instance, I know that the, the sun will rise tomorrow morning. Um, but if, anyone, if you've ever read a philosophy textbook, there's probably there's a chapter on there about how we don't actually know that. We just, it's, been, it's happened a lot before, and so we assume it's going to happen again. And so uh, particularism tells us, yeah, we, how we might use foundationalism or coherentism or whatever, however we might try to figure out that uh, the sun will rise tomorrow, it may not work, but we can just assume that it does. And then after we've made that assumption, then we can maybe argue backward and try to figure out how's a way I can defend this belief, but we don't have to... We don't, that belief doesn't have to depend on my arguments for it. We just start with the belief and then go backwards. For religion, this is important. Um, you say, okay, I, I just assume that there's a God. He exists in Trinity. Jesus is the son of God. And he, uh, Jesus died and was raised uh, for the redemption of the world. I start with those assumptions and then I can um, we can argue about what's the best way to defend that belief. Is it through historical evidence? Is it through something more spiritual? Whatever. So those are three ideas I wanted to throw out there. And as we keep talking, I'll, I'll share some personal um, examples of how I've um, tried to change my mind and build up my ideas about things and how that's changed. Um, do y'all have any thoughts on those three categories or do y'all just have uh, uh, some ways that you've viewed this idea or this, uh, this um, scenario of changing your mind throughout uh, the years. Surprise to our listeners, I'm on the podcast as well. Uh, just took me a little bit to chime in. So hopefully nobody has changed their mind about listening to our podcast uh, to this point. But um, well, so Daniel brought in a lot of uh, philosophical stuff. And so what I'm going to do is uh, talk to our uh, more lowly educated viewers like myself and uh, viewers, listeners, whatever, and uh, ones that may not know words like opine, which I had to uh, look up just to make sure I knew what it meant. Uh, but yeah, and I'm glad I did because it really has a lot to what I'm going, uh, has to do a lot with what I want to talk about. As far as um, when you are being challenged with someone who has a different worldview, uh, than what you would have. Uh, you need to consider that sometimes people are stating things that are, uh, they present them as facts when uh, 
we don't know them, it's observations. And so the quickest uh, way that you're going to come to a halt when, when you're in a discussion with an atheist is when uh, they start presenting to you science of things that happened before observations could be made. And we can see uh, the results of things that happened before us, but we were not actually there to witness them. So that's just observational science. Um, and so when you see those types of things, you need to take them for what they're worth. Um, and, uh, and to sidestep a little bit here, there's also something to be considered that hopefully we're wiser than this, but people often will make decisions based upon their preferences. Uh, when you are choosing a church from the get-go, you might have some preferences, but do those things uh, create rules that uh, are be that become laws for you? Um, uh, I would hope that we can recognize preferences for what they are and that they are not something that need to be forced upon other people. Um, so if you, uh, um, we, uh, we said that we weren't going to do this uh, before we started the podcast, but if your preference is to use instrumental music, I would hope that you wouldn't do, uh, force that belief upon someone else. And if your preference is not to use instrumental music, well, both uh, sides of the issue are thinking as they're listening to me say this, well, scripture says this, this, X, Y, Z. Well, my point is right because I have a backing for it. And that's great. I'm glad that you have that reasoning, but there are things probably uh, less defined than instrumental music that um, could be viewed as a preference. Um, and so recognizing a preference for what it is is important and also realizing that some things that are presented as facts are often not. Yeah. So, Stephen, a, a few things that I'm, I'm taking away from what from what you just said. Um, I think you know, kind of going back to your first point about uh, listening very carefully when someone presents uh, a counter argument to what you're saying. Um, oftentimes, when you're having discussions with people, if you really want it to be a discussion, you know, there, of course, there's Facebook, Twitter arguments that really have no purpose to them. Everyone's a loser in the end. They don't matter. Okay, but if you're really wanting to have a real discussion with a person, you actually care about one or the other of you finding some common ground, the easiest place to go is to find common facts. As you were saying, Stephen, you, you know, when you're having discussions with people, you say, what can we both agree on? But often when we find those common facts, we will find that they are interpreting those facts through an alternative worldview, something that is very different than what you're used to, to um, interpreting those same facts through. And we should expect that those differences are real and are going to make conversation difficult. Stephen, what are you thinking here? So I'm thinking we got to be careful when doing this because this is a tactic that is used to create, uh, uh, make things be civil. So uh, I know just from doing some marriage therapy or counseling with my wife that you need to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. Right. And uh, that they have good intentions, which that will make your marriage a lot better if you do that. 
However, that can be dangerous if you are just giving somebody who is spouting absolute lies. I'm not saying that my wife does that. No, she's a wonderful <laughs> woman. But if somebody is having a conversation with you and they're, whether you know it or not, if they are not being genuine or honest and presenting their beliefs as facts when they're not, then that can be dangerous to give them the benefit of the doubt because you may pick up uh, something and take something as fact that never was. And you Steve, won't know until you challenge it. Stephen, I'm going to assume that your last comment was made to ruin this podcast. Am I correct in saying? Okay, no, sorry. I need to give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, see, I, I guess. There. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think, okay, let me tell a really quick story. Um, names will be changed to protect the innocent, but this actually happened. Uh, Sarah and I had moved to a certain place. I won't even tell you which of the moves it was, but we moved to a place and we went to a Bible class. I was being taught by the preacher of this particular congregation. And he, I don't remember what the context was, but he made the statement, all atheists are stupid. You shouldn't have any conversations with them or you, you, know, you should always watch yourself because you're talking to a stupid person. And both of us just kind of, you know, did a side look at each other. And we're thinking, well, of course we disagree with atheists, but saying that atheists are stupid or saying that in, in saying that atheists are always having malevolent intentions is, uh, number one, uh, wrong. And number two, you know, it is, it's just showing that you've never, you don't talk to a lot of atheists that are very intelligent people. Obviously they believe some things that are wrong, um, that we and uh, I, I would say we know that they're wrong. We could at least say we believe that they're wrong. But at the same time, um, believing that someone is stupid and or evil is uh, will not allow you to actually engage in conversation, let alone a friendly relationship with the person. Um, and so you're not allowing any sort of uh, any sort of conversation or relationship to development, uh, to, to develop. Stephen, uh, please rebut. Well, yeah, and uh, no, I, I agree with you that um, there are atheists, though, that are evil because there are evil people out there. And there, there are Christian, people. there are people who profess Christ who are evil too. You're absolutely right. Sure. And um, wolf in sheep's clothing, if you will. Um, and so, what we need to then understand is not only are the atheists that you're going to interact with uh, uneducated on certain things. Here's the thing. You yourself are uneducated on certain things as well. And you need to realize that, that you don't know everything as a Christian, even when it comes to Christianity. And for you to go into that conversation thinking you do is ignorant. Um, and so that is I mean, it says in scripture that when we are teaching truth, we need to do it in love. Um, and I believe we're also commanded to teach in humility, um, but uh, being also confident uh, in what we are professing uh, because of the assurance, not because of our own knowledge, because that's the way people uh, go that becomes a deterrent to non-believers is when you start uh, acting like you know more than them, that you're better than them because of this, that's not the type of assurance that we're supposed to have. So that uh, as far as uh, uh, being civil in our conversations, uh, that's something that we need to be straying away from. But um, 
uh, let me go back to the point about being uneducated. Um, oh, you, I, I like how we are uh, creating a division between Christians and atheists. Uh, but the, the, when we're assuming the worst about something, the same thing is done in politics where um, uh, you have sure. liberals and conservatives. Liberals think that conservatives are capitalist pigs that only care about themselves, where um, uh, conservatives, well, I don't know what. Um, we we always think they're really nice people. We're very generous to, yeah. to liberals. <laughs> it, well, yeah, you would think that uh, a, a liberal uh, a political view would just care about uh, uh benefiting all mankind regardless of their work ethic and so um, I don't necessarily think that liberals not every single uh, Democrat and Republican is going to line up with the exact same ideology and we're stupid to think so um, but uh, Daniel chime in on this what, what are you thinking about how we can uh, how can we create civil discussion and be open to changing our minds when we're engaging in, in these types of conversations. Yeah, uh, I, I might even push back against, so I, your question was fine, Stephen, um, but a lot of what we've been discussing so far and a lot of what we think of on this topic of changing your mind has to do with conversations, with uh, having uh, arguments, hopefully civil arguments with other people. I would probably, it was far to say that that's the worst place to change your mind. Um, Jonathan Haidt, he, he doesn't actually do this research, but in a lot of his more popular writing, uh, we've referenced him before. He's a psychologist mm -hmm. at NYU. Uh, he writes about people are very bad at being logical and changing their minds. Uh, most of our... Um, arguments are made in order to defend something that we already believe and we're very good at coming up with good arguments to defend something that we already thought was the case it's very hard to get us to actually change our minds so i would think uh, having arguments is good but they're uh, and i i enjoy them vastly and that's half of why we do these podcasts it's just so we can argue with each other once a week um but Changing someone else's mind and even changing your mind during the argument, that's more likely, but none of it is very likely to be terribly effective. Probably the most effective thing is changing your mind and personal reflection through your own study and reflection on certain ideas. So that's the first thing I would say is um, you need to be into good content and have, be having good discussion with good uh, thinkers and people. Um, and to be thinking deep thoughts in order to have the best chance of changing your mind in, in a better way. And part of changing your mind is gathering up all the, uh, the mm -hmm. applicable information that goes along with it to make an informed decision. I mean, that's uh, business decision making, uh, making a right decision 101 is make sure that you are properly weighing the impacts of certain things that uh, can influence the decision and uh, coming up with whatever the expected value. I'm throwing some business yeah, yeah. in there. Yeah, <laughs> what is, 
um, it, it's, there's consequences involved with the decision that you're making. Uh, making sure that what, what first is valuable to you, knowing that that's your, that's your, uh, your worldview right there of what you value. Uh, well, I'm sorry, values are a step out from your worldview. Um, but uh, it is important to know both of those things. And then when you have all the applicable information, put everything together into what makes sense to you. Because when you get more information that comes into the picture, then that could change it a little bit. You might have to tweak things. And there's nothing wrong with tweaking things uh, if you can then Hopefully, if somebody calls you out, well, you said this, now you're a flip-flopper. Well, no, this new information came to light, and so I had to tweak my uh, my understanding of it, and that's uh, fine. Yeah. Our, our listeners will know that uh, the majority of, of our podcast leans conservative, so I'm going, as a, as a conservative brother, I'm going to quote John Kerry very favorably here. Uh, in his 2004 campaign for the president, he was often called a flip-flopper. John, you voted this way on this bill, then you voted it on this way. We can't trust you. And it, I hope I'm getting this quote uh, pretty close to accurate, but he had a very good comeback. It was probably the second or third debate. He said, you know, when the facts change, I change my mind. Why don't you? You know, th that is, it's honorable to respond to changes in your knowledge base. When you find someone uh, that brings enlightenment to a, a very particular area, and maybe that was the hinge that you know your argument was dependent on. And so, when you can listen to that, does that allow you to change your mind? Um, let me. Can I introduce a few ideas? I think we're already talking about this. Um, uh, both of you have talked about uh, building up evidence and gathering gathering new knowledge. Are you? Um, are you introducing these things? Because neither one of us said yes, but go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so uh, let's use religious examples. Um, Daniel, you probably know Greek better than we do. Although, Stephen, I know you've taken more Greek than I have. So I'm the Daniel's least. Still, Daniel's still top. Daniel's still top. Okay. I'm the least Greek educated amongst all of the Crouch brothers. But if I really wanted to hone my religious arguments. What I would need to do is learn the Greek and go to Romans chapter six or what, you know, whatever it is that I'm wanting to build my argument around and go to the original text. And then I could authoritatively say, here is my informed opinion on this issue. I'm not going to do that. Uh, most of my arguments, uh, do another real quick example. Uh, when we talk about anything that has to do with biology or psychology, or even I, I teach an economic section, even my econ class is based off of my understanding of other experts. There are a few things that I've done original research on. Those are very few and aren't going to get us very far in a lot of arguments. We are highly dependent on uh, topic experts, on subject experts. And if I watched a William Lane Craig debate with an atheist, but I only watched the sections of the debate that were not William Lane Craig, I probably could make a few arguments against the atheist on the other side, but I would not do nearly as good of a job as William Lane Craig if I listened to his part of the debate. So I'm, I'm throwing this out there. How do we properly um, lean on experts, lean, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants, while at the same time um, 
not falling apart when we realize that there's some flaws in what they had to say as well. Uh, I'll throw out an example that it will be controversial to fans of this person, uh, N.T. Wright, uh, who is a very famous author. Um, I'm sure our listeners and viewers are familiar with him, uh, maybe for the name at least. Anyway, he uh, was um, a defender of, uh, or a defendant of the role of a deaconess because it was used um, outside of um, religious text of um, the Bible and that it is something that uh, was an actual word that was used. And my response would be just because a word exists does not mean that it is applicable to uh, what God commanded within scripture, even though deaconess is used in uh, scripture. And so um, women should be servants. However, the role that is defined, uh, regardless of if you think that it is um, uh, gender specific or just a cultural thing, um, for that time, uh, I don't think that arguments are enough to merit what a lot of churches are doing. And so how he jumped from just this small, just risque evidence and used it as, well, now we, this is the license to just go and do it. Um, I kind of, uh, lost a little respect based upon I'm like you're a scholar and you're really pushing an agenda here uh, and I'm also not a fan C.S. Lewis I told my wife this the other day um, and I gave all my reasons but I think we've lost C.S. all Lewis, of our listeners at this point so well, yeah. hear me out hear me out um, because and I'm going to mention something after this too C.S. Lewis offered so many good things um, uh, personally, I think the Screw Tape Letters is one of the best books ever written. Um, however, the Chronicles of Narnia, I think, is a complete ripoff of the Bible, and everybody should know that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, as anybody that uses a Christ figure in their writing, is not an original author. I, there, I said it. But what makes of me course. Think of, what I'm doing right now really makes me think of since this is a we're recording this on what is it uh, April 14th right in the middle of the 2020 quarantine and people on Facebook I've seen are posting 10 things that they like that people don't like and I've seen people uh, do the opposite 10 things that most people like that I don't like uh, so uh, N.T. Wright and C.S. Lewis authors that use initials for their first names. Um, yeah, what if I went by S. Scott Crouch? Um, does that make me a great author all of a sudden? Um, all right, rant over. Go on. Those are all the worst opinions I've ever heard. <laughs> um, but no, Michael, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. That is um, that is an important case to make. I wasn't actually sure where you were going with that, uh, with your original Greek point, and oh. then you ended up making what I was about to suggest as a rebuttal, which is people do not need to learn Greek uh, because of all of the different fields that you even mentioned in your example, biology, uh, economics, uh, New Testament, history, any, any of that. Greek is the one where we're the closest to, you can have essentially all of the 
the, the data and knowledge that you need to from what they've provided for us. The, the difference between knowing Greek and having that New Testament translation in front of you, um, negligible. Uh, anyways, so excellent point. I think, yeah, we, we need to accept that we have to rely on a lot of other people for a lot of the knowledge that we, that we need and that we want. Um, we, we just incorporate that. Uh, and when people are wrong, that is okay. That uh, if you think that you personally make a better argument, uh, I would not really trust you. But if you think uh, that that's possible, or if you think a different scholar makes a better argument in a certain field, then you can believe them. And that doesn't mean that the other 90% of what this person has said, the other 90% of what N.T. Wright has said is wrong, just because you, you disagreed with one, um, one particular issue or one statement that they made. Um, and that is, that is all right. Uh, I, I think that that, I would probably, in, in our personal interactions, the three of us, I would hope for the, the two of you um, to go even further with how much trust that you have of experts. Um, I know, th th now this doesn't really apply to y'all, but there are certainly people out there who are skeptical of experts. They associate experts with the elite. And uh, I think that's dangerous to be skeptical of um, people who, dedicate their, their life's work to furthering our knowledge on some particular subject or field that you do yourself a great disservice and you do a disservice to people around you when you um, speak down uh, of the work of those experts or try to rebut them with your extremely limited knowledge. I think that's a, well, a bad yeah, thing. Hopefully I don't think they'll do that, but go ahead. Uh, the professions that really need to have the finger shaken at them would be people of my own profession that don't do their jobs correctly, statisticians and marketers that will put out fake stats. I like to use the hashtag that uh, a buddy of mine started called lying with, lying with numbers, where you put out a stat that doesn't actually tell the true story. And so that can be done by experts, but um, it, it's really, what is your intent? Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right, Daniel, just because N.T. Wright did one thing that I found uh, uh, deplorable does not mean that everything that he's ever done uh, has been deplorable. Uh, but, you know, you lose credibility, just like if a politician does something that is um, reproachable, then you're going to, um, have to knock them down a point or two. But does that take away their entire body of work that they put up over their lifetime? So that's back to what we said before, that you're taking every bit of information that you can bring in to give you to the ability to make that informed decision. Yeah. And you have to bring in their good body of work too. Michael? Yeah. It's, it's a logical fallacy, you know, when someone will say, well, you agree with N.T. Wright or whoever we want to put out there on all of these other things. Why don't you agree with him on this? And we, we don't have to agree with someone's entire body of knowledge. 
I don't even have to agree with all of the things I've thought in the past. So, so are we pointing out a flaw in the justice system where if evidence is tampered with, we have to throw it out? Is that something that we shouldn't be doing then? Is that? I, I'm okay. I, I think that um, it is a net good that we highly discourage tampering with evidence. But yeah, okay. But the evidence um, still is there. Well, perhaps we, we should do a better adoption. was tampered. We should do a better job of documenting it. Anyway, let's let's okay. subject, yeah. Yeah. So um I, I wanted just one one bit in in defense of being skeptical of elites. Um I think it, it is not a good thing to be skeptical of elites for the sake of being skeptical skeptical of, of elites. However, one reason to be skeptical of elites is when other elites are skeptical of those elites. So oftentimes, um, I'm thinking in the econ world, we have battles between uh, Hayek and Keynes or um, Friedman and Stiglitz. Uh, yeah, okay, exactly. I'm throwing out random names that unless you're in the econ world, you've never heard of them before. But these are people who had an intellectual battle 100 years ago or 50 years ago. And we pick sides uh, between these two groups. And so we should realize that even though there's some really smart people out there who agree with all of my free market ideas and that they'll show you exactly why it applies and why it's so important, there's someone else out there who the other side can go to and they can poke holes in all of the things that I'm saying and likely your intellectual hero agrees that there are holes to be poked in their own arguments. Um, so we have to understand the nuanced layers of this that Unless we dedicate our lives to it, we're not going to get. So it requires humility um, when we're thinking through all of these big arguments. Okay, guys, we have talked a ton about um, arguments and building up knowledge. And I really feel like there, there's more to be said about actually the process of changing our minds. But... Um, we're actually really close to finishing. We're almost out of time. So let's each take about two minutes and just give a, a long uh, closing statement on the process of changing your mind. Remove all of the issues, but just talk about your process of changing your mind. Uh, Daniel, why don't you start us out? Okay, I'll try to go quickly. I think that you need to start with, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, with consuming material that is going to stretch your mind, uh, but is also from credible sources. So I can, uh, I spent a lot of time reading about religion and theology, and there are some very far removed uh, theological thoughts from what I think. And, but most of those are from people who aren't as credible. Um, they don't have the the degrees, the time in the field, the um, the support from their colleagues. That's a that's probably the biggest indicator. How much support do they have from their colleagues? But there are people who disagree with me substantially who have a lot of support, and those are the people I think are worth reading, as well as the people who are already pretty close to where I am and who are also credible. So I try to consume a lot of that good material, and I think that has helped me grow intellectually. Stephen, what do you have? So the Bible talks a lot about uh, knowledge being good, wisdom being good. Uh, how much does the Bible use the word uh, education? 
and how much does the Bible say that we should spend our lives making sure that we are informed on things? Um, the Bible uh, talks about how things are left to be a mystery, that some things can be complex with what God has revealed in his will, and that uh, some things are plain as the nose on our face. It doesn't say that word for word in scripture, but that some things are simple, that God has laid these things out for us, that we should be able to plainly see that there is a creator, things of that nature. Um, I wanted to say earlier when we were talking that um, if you want to be a creationist, you might as well just sign up to be a part-time scientist. Uh, whatever your profession is, tack that onto your resume as well. If you want to just uh, uh, take on every battle that's going to come your way, then yeah, it's going to be something that you will never be able to understand in your lifetime. So having said that, uh, making sure that you uh, put uh, your priorities where they need to be, where I think that you should be informed about these things because God does encourage knowledge and wisdom, but not making sure that you become a subject matter expert on every single thing that uh, you find valuable in your life. Awesome. So uh, a few ideas that I would have about changing my mind. Uh, first of all, it, in order to change your mind, but you should seek out the smartest people on both sides. Try to give both sides of the argument that you're considering its best representation. You know, as Stephen said earlier, give uh, give the benefit of the doubt to both sides. Let them put forward their case. Be able to argue both sides. If once you can articulate someone that disagrees with you you better understand the perspective they're coming from. And so you should be able to do that for the position you used to have, and you're trying to do that for this idea that you're considering changing over to. Another idea when it comes to changing your mind is that you want to do it slowly and humbly, because when you do change your mind, uh, everyone that you now disagree with used to be your friend, used to be on your side. So uh, you should realize that uh, there but for the grace of God go I. So it, it's, it's something that's very close to who you used to be. Um, I would also say that we should not be in a silo of information. We, we should look to have other people uh, that disagree with us, talking to us. That you know, includes Facebook, Twitter, those things. And, and finally, uh, one question that I think it's always healthy to ask yourself and to ask someone else with this argument that we're having, if we want it to go somewhere, what's the one thing that I would have to change your mind about that if this fact changes or this opinion changes in your mind, it'll cause you to flip over. Maybe it's two or three things, but what are those things? Anyway, we have talked through how to change your mind and uh, hopefully this has been beneficial. Maybe you'll, you'll use some of the tactics in your own conversations going forward. We appreciate our listeners to the podcast. Uh, please like us or follow us uh, wherever you are. Share the podcast with others. We're also thankful to the Christian Chronicle for highlighting us uh, recently. So we're appreciative there. Uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. See you then.